This call is being recorded. Hello and welcome to my show, Searching for Integrity. My name really is John Smith, and I'm searching for people with integrity. Why? Because our country suffers from IDD, Integrity Deficit Disorder. We have as our guest today, Paul Burnaby, who is the author of Why Students Disengage in American Schools and What We Can Do About It. Paul, are you there? I am, John. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Um, this is um, very interesting stuff. I didn't uh, really uh, know of, of this being a problem, but you, you're, you're certainly tackling it uh, in a in a big 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 way, big way. Uh, let's start with a definition. Can we do that? For sure. What do you want me to define? Um, a telephobia. Oh, telephobia. Yeah, I, I would say this is the primary cause of student disengagement. A telephobia literally, literally means the fear of not being enough. That could be not being tall enough, not being skinny enough, not being smart enough, not being good enough. And as kids or adults experience that more and more, they tend to withdraw. They tend to disengage, at least from those things that result in them feeling a telephobia or the fear of not being, not being enough. Mm -hmm. I, I did notice that um, that hypnotherapy was in the same sentence. Is that one way to to treat the uh, telephobia? Well, you know that's not something that we're involved with, so I'm not as familiar with that. What we're trying to do with our work at Top Twenty Training is to affect the experience that kids have in school. Um, so that they don't experience a telephobia. Uh, so we're looking at what are the things that kids do experience in school that cause that, that cause them to, to, to believe or think or feel that they're not enough. And, and if we become more aware of that as the, as the teachers or parents, we can do some things to minimize that. So that's what we look at. What, what can we do to minimize those feelings so the kids don't suffer, at least not in any significant way, from the fear of not being enough or a telephobia. Right, right. I, I would imagine when you see the uh, the warning signs, um, you immediately go into um, a uh, call it a mode in terms of uh, boosting someone's uh, self esteem. Uh, as part of it. Oh, ab absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and and warning signs can be anything from. Uh, kids quitting school. I mean, there are, there are a lot of young people who are who are choosing that option as a way of, of disengaging. It can also be kids who come to school, they just don't participate, they don't raise their hand, um, they don't uh, ask a question if they don't understand something. Um, and another side of this is kids who have learned that school is really all about getting points. And so they, they do raise their hand, they do participate, but they're participating for the wrong reason. They're participating in order to get points. So if they, if they 
you know, do this assignment, they'll get X number of points. If they participate in class, they'll get X number of points. And, and we want kids to do the assignments and we want kids to, uh, to participate in class. We want them to do it though for a different reason. We want them to do it because they want to learn. They're curious. They want to grow and develop and not just to get points. So there's a whole wide range, a continuum of, uh, of what kids do when they feel like they're not enough and they want to disengage. There's a variety of ways in which they can do that. And there are essentially ways by which kids try to remain invisible in school. And, and we do the same thing as adults. You know, we don't usually engage in things that we don't feel we're competent in. And, uh, and that, uh, that sometimes can be a problem. I see that the, uh, the problem, it's uh, all the way from K through 12. That's uh, somewhat blew me away when I saw K through 12. Well, I used, I used to think, John, that this started in, in middle school, you know, junior high. Mm -hmm. um, but, oh, boy, I'm wrong about that. Uh, a lot of this begins at a much earlier age uh, when kids begin to feel like they're compared and judged. And that, that really is the, the, uh, the cause of a telephobia. And, and this is what we would say kids experience more than anything else in school, that, that, that school is a social event. Um, you know, you can you can identify school in lots of different ways, but fundamentally, school is a social event. And um, during that time, kindergarten through senior year in high school is what we're looking at. Kids are experience comparison and judgment on a day-to-day -day basis. They are compared and they are judged, and they're compared and judged about all sorts of things, about their shape and their size, about their looks, about the clothes they wear about their academic performance, about who they hang out with, or you know, social judgments or, or, uh, or comparisons. And, and that is what really leads to a telephobia, uh, the, the constant judging and the constant uh, comparison that young people experience. And they experience this outside of school as well as inside of school. But we're, we're concerned more about what's going on inside of school in terms of our work. And when they're compared and judged on a daily basis, over time, they develop this fear of not being enough. I recall my own, I guess, reaction to, to this. And it, it wasn't until probably um, junior high. Um, of course, we now know it as middle school. Um, but in, in junior high, uh, I can remember a number of occasions when I felt like I wanted to to disappear. Mm -hmm. Just 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 leave me alone and let me disappear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is which is not a solution to anything, but it's going to probably took a little bit of a, a thinking for me to, to to tell myself that well, you're not going to accomplish anything doing that. Um, right, but but unfortunately, John, for young people, they don't see other options. And so they do disappear uh, in, 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 in a number of ways. Um, we, we refer to it as disengagement. That, that's, a way of, that's a way of not showing up. Because, because mm -hmm. th th I'm guessing that at that time in your life, you started to believe some things that weren't true, but because you believed them, they sure felt true to you. And, and that's what we're seeing. The, the kids start believing some things that aren't true, and they are governed by what we call OPOs, other people's opinions, right? 
Now, Mm -hmm. there's a time when we should listen to other people's opinions. That's when they're in our best interest. But there are also times when OPOs or other people's opinions are not in our best interest. But young people don't have the wherewithal at that young age to, to discern some of those things, and so they get locked into uh, listening to other people's opinions when those other people's opinions are not in their best interest. Right, right. I uh, recall seeking some uh, assistance from counselors. Um, it wasn't something I could get from my parents. Um, they had their own problems. Uh, I learned pretty quick, and uh, it was a matter of uh, you know me getting through it. I'm uh, you know, learning, learning, <laughs> learning how to live on my own, mm-hmm. uh, and that that has served me well. Uh, but nevertheless, I know that I know that lonely kind of feeling. I do. And and fortunately, John, you did learn it. You know, you, you got to the other side. Um, a lot of young people don't. And even into, uh, you know, adulthood and, and older age, we can still be carrying around beliefs that we're not good enough, that we're not uh, not smart enough, that we're not this or not that, and, uh, and and that impacts the quality of our lives, not just as not just as school children, but as adults in, in the workplace and in our relationships. Those can be damaged as well. So, um, fortunately, you you did get what you needed, um, but a lot of young people don't. Well, um, I went through a lot of different phases, and in those phases, I found a, a, a solution, and that's what's helped helped me get through. Mm-hmm. And it, and I also fall back on those whenever I you know have you know, just because I'm 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 as old as I am doesn't mean that I don't have those same feelings. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think I think we all have those at at times in our life. We all have. The, the feeling of not being enough uh, uh, from, from time to time. The question is, does it become a paralyzing thing, right? I mean, I, I'm not good enough as a ballet dancer. Uh, I, I'm not going to become good enough as a ballet dancer, right? But that's not my identity. That is, that is not – I don't have to do that, right? But when we begin to identify ourselves in certain ways and we're not good enough in those things, then that has uh, an implication that is it is pretty negative and it can be disastrous in some ways and so and so when kids are in school, they identify themselves as a student um, but but if, if I'm not good enough as a student, then I'm now impacting uh, my identity with with those beliefs or the, or those messages that I get that's that's another cause of of uh, of a telephobia. The kids get messages from other people. It can be in the form of OPOs. It could be in what what happens when a kid makes a mistake. What are the messages that kids get from others, whether that's parents or teachers or coaches or or even peers? What, how do how do people respond when a person makes a mistake? And what we're what we're learning as we as we listen to kids is usually it's a pretty negative way. A kid makes a mistake and they're laughed at. A kid makes a mistake and they're punished, um, or they're uh, they're left alone, or people lose trust in them. I mean, there's a whole variety of things. We do this when we do student retreats. We ask kids to stand, and then we go through 13 slides 
PowerPoint slides that describe 13 of these things that kids can experience when they make a mistake. They're all negative. And we ask kids, sit down if you, if you haven't experienced these things. John, no kids sit down. They've all experienced these negative things when they've made a mistake or when they have failed. So they begin to believe that mistake-making and failure means they're not, they're not good enough. Now, there was a time in their life when they were much more open to that. The other day, I was doing a retreat at a school, and I called on a young kid to come up. I said, I want you to show your, your, your classmates what it was like when you took your very first step. And the kid was able to play along with me. So he took a step, and then he fell down. I said, fabulous. What did you do then? He said, I got up, and I took a second step. So he was, he's role-playing this. I said, what did you do after you took your second step? He said, I fell down again. I said, fabulous, because that's called failure. You were failing as a walker. But here's something else that was going on. While you were failing at walking, you were learning something absolutely necessary in order to walk. You were learning balance. So I said, I'm going to ask you to walk from where we are right now over to your chair and have a seat. And he did that. And as he did that, I said to, to his classmates, I said, you know why? You know why Billy can do that? Because Billy learned balance. How did Billy learn balance? He learned it by failing at walking. Right? So when Billy was a little kid, failing wasn't a problem. Right? But boy, as he grew older and started getting these messages, these negative messages, failing, making mistakes became a big problem. And the only way to avoid that is to not try. If you don't try, you won't make a mistake and you won't fail. But again, um, that becomes a problem, not trying. That's called disengagement. I remember uh, the you could identify those people that were friends and those people that were not. Mm-hmm. And usually the, those people that were friends would say, hey, get over it, you know. And, you know, after you hear that a few times, then you start thinking, well, I better get over it. Yes. That's and called that, encouragement. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. And, and it also means, you know, I, I have a new friend. <laughs> yes. Yes. Which, which they're hard to come by. Well, they are. And, John, you're, you're kind of addressing another piece that we do in our training. It's called Help Others Succeed, all right? Mm-hmm. We're trying to teach kids that their number one job when they go to school, not their only job, but their number one job is to help others succeed. So if, if, if like you said, if your friend something, what can you do to help that kid succeed? Or if it's even on the baseball field or in sports or other, other activities, if somebody's not doing something well, what can you do to help them succeed? Because as you do that, you encourage them and you keep them engaged. You keep them trying, which is a sign of friendship when we are able to do that. That is a friend for sure. You know, I, I look at what you're doing and I see how important it is. But I also look back in retrospect over the past year and the kids being relegated to virtual training um i think that just makes it that much harder boy does it ever john uh, before our visit this morning i was with a school in the bronx um a middle school in the bronx i was speaking with a leadership team there 
and they shared with me that those kids haven't been in school since a year ago March, and and the, the as they be, as they go back to schools next year, they were sharing with me that the kids need to make connections. They need to experience a sense of belonging again, because they've missed the, you know 15 months of that. And of course, that's going to have a huge implication as well in the overall development. And that's why we have to let kids. We have to put kids in situations where they're very willing to try. They're willing to try to go up and talk to some kids. They're willing to uh, try to. Uh, raise their hand when they don't know something, all right? Um, but if they're if they're afraid, if they experience a telephobia that they're not enough, then they back away from those things. So this has all kinds of implications, and certainly this past year with COVID um, is a major factor in that as well. Yeah, well, it it certainly doesn't make make your job any easier. I can tell you that. Uh, um, hopefully, we'll get that straightened out here without. Um, much delay. Um, it's you know, it's good though that we see it on on television, been talked about and debated and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, if we could uh, remove all the politics from all of that, then we might be successful in, in getting it done. You know. Well, there are roadblocks, but again, we're not trying to get to the moon. I mean, this is the the, the things that we're sharing with teachers and parents and kids. Mm-hmm. Are, are things that are things that we can do that that will remove some of these roadblocks. Let, let me give you one other example. Um, one of the things that kids experience in school is confusion. Right? A teacher is teaching something, and a kid doesn't get it. So, so John, let me ask. Let me interview you for a moment. Um, I want you to think about when you were in school, and something was being presented by a teacher, and you didn't get it. You were confused. What would you say you felt in that moment, or what did you think, or what did you believe when 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 young John was confused? All eyes were on me. Yes, yes. All right. And, and what feeling came with that? Inadequacy, uh, not not knowing why I felt yeah. that. Yeah. Now, John, we have worked with a million teachers across the country. If you ask any teacher. What do students experience or feel or think or believe when they don't understand something, when they are confused, right? The only answer you get, John, is the answer that you just gave me. You change the words a little bit. But teachers will say students feel dumb, they feel stupid, they feel um, uh, self-doubt, right? all those kinds of things. Now, second question. What's the possibility of young John being confused in school? What's the possibility of any kid today being confused in school? It's going to happen. In fact, it's True. supposed to happen, all right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. what we share with teachers, because we want them to share that with their students, is two things. One we call the principal, and not, not the principal P-A-L, not the person who's in charge of the school, but principal P-L-E. And the principle is this. Anything that you and I can do today, John, we were once confused about. Anything. If you can tie your shoes, you were once confused about that. If you can ride a bicycle, you were confused about that. Right? If you can read, if you can add numbers, all right? if you can drive a car, anything that we can do today, we were once confused about. So that's the principle. Now, here's the secret. The secret is, 
the confusion is a natural and necessary part of all learning. I didn't know that, John. I was a English teacher for a number of years, high school. Um, Macbeth, I taught Shakespeare. Do you think my students were confused when they read Macbeth? <laughs> so was the teacher, <laughs> right? Yeah. So I never, I never taught my students of the secret about confusion because I didn't know it. But I sure know it now, and I want all teachers to, to know that secret and to pass that on to kids. So that confusion doesn't mean they're dumb or stupid. It means they're about to learn something. And if we can establish that in kids from the very beginning, it makes a world of difference. I was sitting, I was standing in front of a school in Imperial, Missouri, which is just south of St. Louis, a few years ago. And this is a school that is using our curriculum and talking to kids about confusion and the confusion rocks, right? And um, the kids were getting off the bus. A little girl was walking in the school. I didn't know her. I didn't know any of these kids. But I said to this little girl, I said, why are you coming to school today? She said, I'm confused about reading. I said, cool, that's what we do here. Come on in. Next kid, about a fourth grade boy, why are you coming to school today? He said, I'm confused about fractions. Cool, that's what we do here. Come on in. Every kid walking into that building that day, John, knew that confusion rocked. Confusion was a cool thing. They were going to school because they were confused. Right? There was no telephobia in those kids. There was no fear or no anxiety about being confused because their teachers had celebrated confusion with them in meaningful right. ways. So this right. is doable. We just need to do it. Now, with this information regarding our society and how we deal with that problem, are other cultures involved in their own way somehow? I mean, take, for instance, Japan or Europe. Um, are they taking heed of this? Or are they having the same problem? What, what, uh, what do you say? Yeah, well, my, my honest answer is I don't know. I don't know. Um, my guess is that some of these same things are going on, you know, worldwide. But I, I, I don't hang out there. I don't, I don't talk. Uh, I seldomly talk to teachers who are uh, coming from, from other countries. But mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I'm curious about that. Um, we'll ask that question when I have an opportunity. But my mm -hmm. guess is that this is a, this is a human problem. Not just uh, not just here in the United States. I would think so. I would think so. Um, you've you've authored uh, a bunch of books. We have. We've written we've written five books. The first book we wrote is called Top Twenty Teens. It's about the best kept secrets for uh, for young people, middle school and high school kids, and parents and teachers of that age group. Um, mm -hmm. We've written a book called Top Twenty Teachers which is for people in my profession, in education, how they can be more effective um, in, in working with, with students and, and colleagues. Uh, mm -hmm. We have a book called Top 20 Parents. Uh, this is for parents of young, young students, young people, eight years old and younger. And then um, the book that we're talking about today is Why Students Disengage in American Schools and What We Can Do About It. So we talk about this atelophobia problem, but all kinds of practical ways that we can uh, help kids find themselves and, and stay engaged uh, in, in school and stay engaged in, in other things as well. And then the, uh, the last book we wrote is called uh, Rebalanced Thinking, Rebalanced Living. 
it's all of our top 20 concepts and strategies, but written mm-hmm. for 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 adults in general, not specifically for for teachers right. or or students. Well, I'm reading here that you and your top 20 team have trained over a million people throughout the U.S. and Canada and Africa. That's a lot of people. It is, and that's that's really a million teachers. We've we've probably trained a lot more than that because we've done we we work with businesses as well. Although our our passion is kids in schools, um, and uh, and we've trained parents, um, but but that's a million teachers across the country, and uh, the need is huge. And you know um, things slowed down a little bit during this past year because of COVID. We were doing a lot of uh, Zoom sessions, um, but they sure are picking up now, and uh, a lot of requests. For us to uh, come in and, and work with the faculty or, or work with uh, with with the kids through uh, retreats that we do as well, and also parent sessions. Paul, please uh, tell my audience how to find you, how to make contact with you and your books. Yeah, thanks, John. Um, well, our our website is www.top20training.com, and that's uh, the the number twenty. Uh, the name of our company is Top Twenty Training. Uh, you can also reach me at Paul, lowercase p, Paul at Top20 Training. And uh, my phone number is 651-470-3827. And we'd love to talk to you about anything that, uh, any ways we can support uh, people who are listening to your show, especially if they're uh, connected with schools or working with young people. Well, I want to thank you again for uh, taking the time to uh, educate us on on something that uh, we need to know thank you you're welcome john thanks for the opportunity best wishes and i want to thank my listeners for tuning in again to searching for integrity so long and happy trails to all